people right there. Take a deep breath, Kyle. Yes, back again with the Scramble Life Podcast, episode number 32. All right, I'm here by myself today, no L today, because we're doing a special show. Um, the show is going to deal a lot with the music business and what it was, what it is currently. We're going to talk about a lot of different things uh, in this episode, but um, as many of you may know, or you may not know, I've had little dealings with the music business over the years, you know, working for rap a lot way back in the day and working in Toronto for labels and, and just a whole bunch of stuff leading up until the last like 15 years ago or whatever. But when I think about what black music is and the black music divisions from back in the day and everything, what made the whole thing tick with groups like new edition and all that stuff, I think of uh, Cynthia Horner, Frankie Crocker, the Gavin, the Gavin Conventions, uh, L. Heyman, Impact Magazine, Urban Network, Gerald Busby, Hush Productions, L. Heyman, Sylvia Rome, you know, house music, go-go music, Baltimore club music. I could go on and on, you know, uh, even locally. Andrew Langston, WDKX, Rochester, New York. So much. So today we have a special guest, and he, he's right in the mix of all that. Ladies and gentlemen, we're going to welcome the one and only... Mr. Paul Porter. What's going on, sir? Man, thanks for that. Oh, man, I got applause and everything. Everything, Good, man. man. How are you? I'm, it's funny, some of the names you mentioned, I was like, damn, you checking off my list. <laughs> you know? Yeah. yeah. Can I just tell a quick Al Heyman story? You know, Al Heyman, mm -hmm. when we, we were going, I was in school in Boston, and I was at Northeast and Al Heyman was at Harvard mm -hmm. and he came to me. I used to DJ parties and he graduated. His parents got him a Cadillac for graduation from Harvard. Wow. The next week he sold it and did a concert with Crown Heights Affair. And I was his DJ and that was his first concert. Then he went into concert promotion so anyway, when you said Al, that that was the flashback I had of his crazy butt. <laughs> no, no, it was a white Mercedes that he sold. Yeah, okay. he got a Mercedes. Hell and he man. sold that. And now he's a billionaire. But yes, anyway. He yes, he is. That's, that's Al Heyman. It's a good story right there, too. Uh, Al Heyman, for, you, for all of you people that don't know, uh, he's a famous concert promoter. Um, boxing promoter and he's doing a lot of other different things now out there in the world but all those new edition tours what was it the Budweiser Superfest 
Mm-hmm. Yeah, all those big tours from back in the day. He used to promote all those things. So uh, yeah, you but he's, up. he's still doing Drake now. Okay, he's a business manager for so many folks because mm-hmm. he was a smart brother, man. Because you know, back then I said, "You gonna sell your car?" <laughs> I had a '67 T-Bird back then in '79. Yeah. '79. But anyway, yeah, yeah, yeah. Mm-hmm. I got you. So what? What I want to talk to you about is. What drew you to the music business around 1979? Let's just say what drew you to it between 1973 and 1979. Well, you know, I was sort of lucky. I grew up in Jamaica, Queens, and you know how we talk about hood. Mm-hmm. It wasn't a hood. It was just a black neighborhood with hardworking parents that looked out for everybody. Mm-hmm. And my best friend on my block, him and... Uh, his his mother and father got divorced, and Andy Stroud married Nina Simone. Mm-hmm. So on weekends, as a little kid, I used to go to Nina Simone's house. Mm-hmm. This is in the '60s when I'm, you know, from like eight to twelve, and I didn't know what a force she was in music, but I did understand that they had a big house and a black Lincoln Continental. And uh, another parent on my block, a guy named Bill Staten, he worked at Atlantic. Mm-hmm. So by the time I got to college, he sent me up there with 100 records to uh, take to some record stores. And, mm-hmm. you know, it was in my blood because I used to see all these, you know, performances early in the 70s when I was in high school. And mm-hmm. by the time I got to, you know, college, I mean, Black music was it, you know? Right. And I just remember the power of black music because James Brown, I used to live off Linden Boulevard and James Brown lived on the same street. But we used to ride our bikes to see if we could see James Brown. And when he came out with Say It Loud, I'm Black and I'm Proud, nobody wanted to be black. You know what I mean? The word, you know... We were Negro and colored back then. And the power of that song, I've been black ever since. Mm-hmm. You know, so the music just had so much power to me. And of course, it's changed. And yeah. But it, it, it was just like, you know, a heavyweight boxing fight in the 70s and 80s was the biggest sporting event in the world. Mm-hmm. And, and to me, black music has lost a lot of its drive and purpose. Because for a long time, it spoke so much to the streets. And, um, you know, it, it, you know it, it, it's only speaking. I, I'm about balance, man. I, I don't hate on anything, but the balance of black music has been attacked for over 20 years. When do you, when and, do you um, think that, that attack started? What year did, would you say that was? Well, it, it started to change in the 90s when I was at BET. You know, there, uh-huh. in the 90s, there was still balance. There were, you know, four out of the top 10 songs on the charts were ballads. Mm-hmm. You know, even the Jodeces. But once once the industry locked in the hip-hop, it cut out R&B. It cut out, <laughs> you know, we... Uh, we used to play instrumental records on the radio, you know, yeah, yeah. and there was just a different, you know, the 
the Luther eras and uh, just so much has been lost mm-hmm. just with hip hop. So now if you're 40 years old, you think black music started with hip hop. Mm-hmm. And, you know, I love hip hop. Don't get me wrong, but it, it's this shameful how we don't know our history. Right. And to, to know that the music that inspired hip hop was you know jazz and so much more so uh that right you know that that's been my mission for the last 22 years is to try you know i i was in new york and just noticed this how everything was this just misogynistic and hateful Mm. And, and we had a balance for a long time but that balance has been gone for a long long time over 20 years yeah yeah it's like the changes in the industry came in layers. It was like you had 96 when everything started to get consolidated. Then you had, what was it, like the late 90s, early 2000s, where it was just whatever. And then you got to 05. That's when it just, to me, that's when shit just went crazy. And they just started putting yeah. anything, anything in rotation, period. Uh, and that was the Yeah, that. but you know when it changed the Telecom Act, too. Okay, the talk about it. Talk about it. The, uh, you know, Bill Clinton, that's probably the worst bill he passed. There were rules in terms of ownership and markets where you can only own three broadcast properties. And the Telecom Act of 1996 changed all that. Mm-hmm. So you had a company like Clear Channel, which is iHeart now. They went from owning 90 stations to over 1,200 stations in two years. Right. So they just syndicated and, you know, we lost the regional effect, you know, where music sounded different. If I went to Philly, it sounded one way. D.C. was something out west. But then and it was also digital when BDS and tracking came out Mm -hmm. where the record labels could know exactly what you were playing in the 80s, early 90s. They would call you up for your playlist, and you would say, this is number one. Well, once it became digital, it it, it changed the whole game, and all of a sudden, repetition. You know, songs in the top ten played every four hours for a long time. Now they play every 60, 70 minutes. Yep. So there's a lot less music out here. And even though the internet gives you this assumption you can be huge, it still always comes back to if you look, you know, and see what the biggest tours and the biggest money makers are, plus the publishing money is a hundred times better, you know, in broadcast television and radio than it'll ever be in streaming. So, uh, you know, we lost a lot of things. And I remember when, you know, when Master P could sell CDs out of his trunk and, and you could do well and make a living. You can't do that in streaming. Yeah. So tell the people why you can't do that in streaming versus the way it was where you controlled everything with your hands right there in front of you versus the streaming thing. Well, I mean, one stream is point zero 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 six. So you get like a stream. You get like a quarter of a penny or something like that. <laughs> yeah, yeah, a fraction of a penny, and one spin on the radio is seven cents. 
Yeah. I had a record out with my little cousin, Chris Porter, the water dance mm-hmm. with Pitbull. This was about five, six years ago. And we did a hundred million streams, blah, blah, blah. But the money from 1800 radio spins was more than a hundred streams. Mm. So you figure that out, you know? Hmm. Yeah, uh, a million streams or what gets you thirty five hundred dollars? Right. Wow. That you know. <laughs> so anyway, I'm. I, I mean, we we gotta adapt, and it's there's a lot of smoke and mirrors out here. Yeah. And unfortunately, you know, folks don't study the business of music, and, and it's gotta be. It's a business. You gotta figure right. out the best way to make it because everybody fails because they don't have enough money yeah. and they can't generate income. Let me ask you a question right quick. Do you uh, think the conferences and seminars and panel discussions are still relevant in this day and time? <laughs> it's relevant <laughs> to the folks that are giving them and want to make some money. Right, right. But uh, it's just a whole different feel. It's more, to me, the new game is getting into the game. Mm-hmm. You know, I started the website 12 years ago. It's called raprehab.com. Mm-hmm. And if you go on Rap Rehab, there's a section, Brain Food and Do It Yourself. Okay. And all, you know, I, I've just kept the site alive. Just, I shared so many great stories on the business of music and the tricks of music. Mm-hmm. And that's, I started it because so many young artists were getting ripped off. Right. You know, this from paying to see A&Rs to paying to be on shows to getting your tape here. It, it's just a big game, you know. And it's always been that way. But now I got people that spend ten, fifteen thousand dollars $15,000 that's totally useless, you know. You're going to lose, you know, and they come to me after complaining. But the the music business has always been, you know, one out of a hundred type business. But then there are a lot of artists that are making it big that you never hear of. We always focus on what I call the public success and the private failure. You know, the people that we, we, we think are great. You know, I remember when. Kevin Campbell was everything, and then he was homeless five years later. You know, so we get caught up in the minute and not not the ones that last. And you got folks like Yo Gotti that gets, you know, $15 million deals and worth 30, 40 million, never had a record in the top 10 in the last 20 years. Right. So there's different ways to do it. And you know, and that's part of the business. Yep. All right. Now check this out. I'm I'm jumping around a bit here, but uh, we're gonna start with this one. Now I know you were working at BET for many years, and you did a lot of different things over there. But I'm gonna tell y'all something right quick. I'm gonna tell you about my first memory of Paul Porter on BET Black Entertainment Television. Once upon a time, they had a thing or a show called Video Vibrations. And Video Vibrations played all the latest, like, black, urban, what you would call now, some of the urban AC music videos and stuff like that. So check this shit out, though. They didn't really play a lot of hip-hop in a regular rotation. So they had this thing where it was called Rap Week. 
and they play hip hop. And I remember I, I used to run home, run home from school because all week it was going to be hip hop on BET. Now the difference between rap week and your own TV raps is like they played all, they played all that shit. Like you saw DC Scorpio stuff like Detroit's most yeah. different, just different people like that that had a little bit of money and they could make it pop. And MTV ain't never touch it. Talk to me a little bit about video vibrations and rap week and anything else you want to say about video vibrations. Yeah, it's funny. You know, when BET started, Donnie Simpson, I was on the radio with him at KISS. Okay. At KYS in D.C. And it started in a in a little studio in Arlington, Virginia, and Donnie was the Arlington. only host. Mm-hmm. And, and I went out there to see what was going on, blah, blah, blah. Little did I know that you know, I think six, seven years later that I would become part of the staff. I started filling in for Donnie on Video Soul. Mm-hmm. And then it led me to put in the software selector to program videos. And I started doing Vibes and Midnight Love and mm-hmm. Rap City and all. Oh, BET was it in the 90s. Mm-hmm. It was the place that you had to have a music video on because MTV wasn't really supporting a lot of artists. Correct. So it was a good time. You know, we did a lot of good things, but I also noticed how the change happened, you know? Uh And when I left in 2000, it was a completely different network, and that's when it moved to New York then. Uh Okay. All right. So Rap Week, was that something... That you put together, or why did they even do Yeah, it? yeah, because it was this so powerful, you know, mm-hmm. rap was this. And that was like 1989, off. right? 89, 88, something like that. Yeah, I think it was 89. Yeah. Yeah, yeah. and, uh, you know, and then Rap City started, and Chris Thomas was there, and Tigger yeah. and Joe Claire, and yeah, I, I mean, but. That's that's what what happened. Mm-hmm. Then then you know the rap music was allowed on the radio because in the eighties people were fighting it, right? You know, and, and, and BET played an important role because and, and people used to spend crazy money on videos. Yeah, they did. Like videos were it. Yep. Yep. People don't know back in the day, you had to spend like what something. Stupid cheap was five thousand dollars, five thousand, ten thousand, twenty thousand, thirty thousand, fifty thousand, a hundred. Man, I, <laughs> yeah, classic con- concepts and and Ralph and it. Please, I saw so many two hundred thousand dollar budgets, and you know people were this ridiculous, and they were getting robbed. The artists got robbed because the videos didn't cost that much, right? But so many. You know, and I've been always talking about payola and pay for play, and it was never more apparent than in video, mm-hmm. you know, because if a label's going to spend 250000 on the video and BET wasn't going to play it, well, somebody was going to lose their job. Right. So the pressure was on, and they do anything to get things played back then. Mm-hmm. And they do the same now. It's just... You know, it's more centralized. You know, we had seven major labels then, and now there's three. That's right. 
That's right. You got Sony, BMG, Warner Brothers, and Universal. You know, and everything runs through that system, and that's the way it is. You know? Um, yep. Very interesting. Very interesting. So, yo, check this out. What we're going to do right quick is we are about to take a quick break, and we will be right back, y'all. Yeah. Scramble Life Podcast, episode number 32, 
right here for you. And once again, we got a special guest here today, Mr. Paul Porter. And he's down there. Actually, you know, you're in Orlando, Florida, right? Yeah, close. Close, okay. Beachside, right, yeah. you know. You got a radio station down there too, right? Yeah, the Wired, 98.5, yeah. All right, tell me As a matter of fact, we just celebrated five years on the air. All right. October 28th, yeah. Okay, cool, cool. So you guys radio What you know about Chuck Brown, man? Why are you playing Chuck Brown, man? That's part of the D.C. go-go life. Man, I'm a go-go junkie. (laughs) Oh, okay. Man, all all that stuff, man. Uh, Your rear essence, uh, the old trouble funk stuff, uh, junkyard band, backyard band, subtle things. Yeah, when I got to D.C., I got to D.C. in 82. Okay. And, And, uh... The first go-go I heard was a Trouble Funk record. Mm. And uh, <laughs> then, then uh, seeing Chuck Brown and go-go was this. I mean, there's nothing like go-go in D.C. It's a different mindset. And, and if you're ever in D.C., go see it for real. Word. Go see that shit. Cause it's, it's a sh- I always tell people that go-go was kind of like one of the last forms of kind of, I guess you could say, pure black music here in the United States. You know, because they still got it going out there with the club dates every week, every day. All those groups are working yeah. between uh, Virginia, Maryland, and D.C. So if you're out that way, look them up online. They got plenty of websites. Uh, guys even sell concerts and mixes online and things like that. Um, go support your go-go groups and do your research on them. All right. So, uh, yeah, so... You got that going on over there uh, with your station. Uh, and also, you got a book. Now, your book is called Blackout. And you guys could take your time right now and go Google that. Uh, it's for sale online at Amazon and all the regular platforms where you would get those type of books. Um, what's the book about? I know it has something to do with the music industry, but you get kind of deep in there. and You're talking about some of the issues and things you ran into over the years where, you know, it was just grimy as hell. Tell me a little bit about it. Well, well, the title of the book is Blackout, My 40 Years in the Music Business. Mm -hmm. And the definition of blackout that caught me was a temporary loss of consciousness. Mm -hmm. (laughs) And I think we all lost our minds in black music, Mm -hmm. you know, in the 80s and 90s. And that's why we're in this mess that we're in now that we, we think we're winning and we own less and we're, we're not as impactful as the old days. And I just wanted to give some history. You know, I've read a lot of music books and I wanted to write it from the inside out and, and to tell some true stories about broadcasting and some of the things that, you know, I've dealt with and, um, it's been a great ride, but have I had my ass kicked? You know, when I got fired, I was at BET 11 years, and I got fired cold-blooded. <laughs> but uh, it was right before the sale of Viacom, mm-hmm. and I was supposed to get stock that would have made me about $2 million, and I got fired like 40 days ahead of time. Wow. So that led me into a spiral. And, you know, and, and it just seemed like I had that cycle. You know, mm-hmm. every 10 years, something else would happen, blah, blah, blah. 
but I've been lucky. I've been able to do a lot of different things, and the book breaks it down. And matter of fact, uh, C-SPAN gave me 90 minutes. If you just Google Paul Porter blackout, mm-hmm. there's there's a special on where a lot of the stuff in the book that I, I couldn't talk about, the the cocaine and the the all the real, uh, a lot of stuff. But, you know, that'll be in part two. Okay. All right. So, yeah, that's Paul Porter. Uh, go check that book out, and you can just put Blackout in there, and the rest of the title will come up for you. Um, but it's available everywhere. I checked it out. Um, I have to pick up an issue myself, or a, a copy, rather, <laughs> myself, and check it out. But you know what? We was just talking about uh, Trouble Funk, and I found something yep. real quick here. Let me see what I got. Hold on a minute. Bump me Hold up, I got to bring that back. I just had to play that right Hey, what's you. the most famous go-go record of all time? Oh, shit. That's a good one. Here we go. That's a, You know what? All right. Here we go. That's a good one. Come on now. It's easy. It's uh, EU. Experience doing Unlimited. The butt. Doing the butt. <laughs> yeah. Here we go. You know, but the good thing about the when biggest. Rich Harrison did Crazy for Beyonce, that that's crazy in love is nothing but a go go track, mm-hmm. and that became one of the biggest. And, and you know the story with Sony, they were like, "That's some DC," and they didn't even pick it to be on the album. And then uh, you know a meeting happened, and it went number one. So that that's the biggest of go go drums, but uh, go go made a lot of impact, especially. All right, enough of that. There you go. See? Yep, go, go, drums. Go, 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 go. All day. Go, go music. DC, BET, Paul Porter right here on the Scramble Life podcast. Um, Man, I got like so many uh, questions to, to ask you. We only got a couple of minutes Drop left right em. here. Uh, let's talk about Urban AC Radio. Now, over the years, Urban AC, which is uh, Urban Adult Contemporary Radio, basically, they played music that was kind of set for people that's a little bit older, let's say between, what is it, the 25 to 54 plus demographic? Is that right? Yep. So that's, Yeah, that's, that, that was sort of the anti-rap format. Yeah, pretty much. So back in the day, it was more so like Luther and Anita Baker, a little bit of uh, Erica Badu, this, that, and the other. And you still have things like that with your Michael Bazden and things out there on different stations. Like here, they have, um, they got a station, WFO, and they... They play stuff like that, but um, it's out there. But 
a lot they play a lot of hip hop now, a lot of old school hip hop. And the point I'm getting at is where will Urban AC radio go in the future? When it's not a lot of new well, well, stuff well, popping up. Here's out. the scary thing. Well, go ahead. It's that urban radio is dead on the radio because young folks don't listen to the radio. Correct. So in New York, when you have Hot 97 and Power 105, number 12 and 15 in New York, Mm -hmm. and BLS is number one or two, Mm -hmm. that's urban AC is it. You know, young folks don't listen to the urban radio stations anymore because everybody is in the choice. Correct. And Urban AC was sort of the format that, you know, when Tom Joyner started his syndication off, that was the adult, you know, black radio. Had, you know, I remember playing, you know, Grandmaster Flash and Luther Vandross on the same station. Mm-hmm. You know, it was this tastefully done back in the day in the 80s. But, you know, they they wanted to change things and put some limits on it. And luckily, Urban AC is the only black format that's winning, you know, winning in Philly, winning in New York, mm-hmm. winning this is Chicago. You know, hip hop's not a radio format anymore. Right, right, right. Yeah. Yeah, that's, that's saw there. Um, you know, commercial radio, it ain't really happening. Like me personally, you know, I stream my music. Like right now, I use the YouTube music service. And I go in there and play whatever I want to play. And um, that's the way it is. But listening to the radio is pointless to me. Because number one, in a lot of situations, I don't want to hear the, the announcers talk about what they're talking about. Because <laughs> they ain't talking about nothing. You know what I mean? So, you know, that's just my view on that. You know what I mean? Yeah, well, I mean, it's been dumbed down. You know, yes, we went from, it. you mentioned Frankie Crocker, man. Yeah. Like Frankie Crocker was my idol and to get to work for Frankie mm-hmm. when he hired me at BLS in the nineties, right. I was just starstruck because he, he was everything on the radio, you know, conversational, controversial, mm-hmm. you know, mm-hmm. plus he, he was the, he was the leader of it all, man. You know, so now we, you know, the big leader in urban radio is Charlemagne. Right. You know, like, so yeah. it's the Breakfast Club, and, and as popular as the Breakfast Club, his station's number fifteen in New York. Well, say it again. I'm you sorry, know, that, it, it was, you was breaking up right quick. Said it. It was. It's what in New York? Uh, his shows, his station's number fifteen in New York. All right, number fifteen. Even though okay. his, yeah, the Breakfast Club does well in the mornings. I think it's number four. Okay, but. That's the top. That's you know, 10 years ago, he would have been number one when Star and Buck Wild won Hot 97. They ruled New York. That's right. So it's just a different era. Yep. It's a different era, definitely, man. So, yeah, everything is changing. And, you know, it's just so many of them different shows out there and all that stuff, man. But I, I'm looking at something right here in front of me. And it's the top 100 R&B songs in 1979. Now, I know uh, you said you were in college around that time. Uh, and you were in college yep. radio, too, right? You worked in college radio? Yeah, WRBB. My college radio station. We got, we got. that's where Wendy Williams came after me. And 
bunch of people, uh, Mike Shannon, who's on the air, Daddy King, Jay Dixon. We had like 10 people go pro from my college station. Okay. Yeah. Yeah, uh, I got this top 100 list here, but even before we get into that, I want to ask you, what was college radio back then compared to your urban or R&B station in every market across the country back then? Like, what did you guys play different on college radio versus what the R&B stations played back then? Oh, we just played, we played joints, man. My college station, and that's when funk was in. We were playing Parliament and Cameo. Mm -hmm. I mean, LTD came to our college station to do a live concert, Royers. You know, it was this. We were. I was. I went to school in Boston at Northeastern. Okay. And Boston only had a black daytime station. Okay. At ninety WYLD, and it was AM station. Matter of fact, Woofo's sister station, okay. and it would go off at, at sunset. So mm-hmm. college radio, my college, my little college radio station ruled the city, mm-hmm. and you know, I started doing playlists and. Northeastern was all white, okay, and yeah. it was only four percent black. But I, they voted me in as program director, and I flipped it and made it all black. It was all rock and roll, and the black show was on at night at midnight. Mm-hmm. And the white folks hated me, but I won, and the station stayed black for like but twenty-five you know what? years. It seems like that's always the case with college radio. Like you know, I've had you know dealings with college radio because I used to do college radio promotions but even locally over the years with the hip hop shows and everything it always was a war with the white people at the college station you know what I mean but uh-huh. just, this is what you're talking about you know a lot of people yeah. don't know that yeah yeah but but that that's you know my book is nothing but battles right. like I fought all the battles I worked Frankie Crocker Bob Johnson Kathy Hughes, AOL, NBC, mm-hmm. Radio One, you know, mm-hmm. and I've always been one to say, who makes the rules? Like, mm-hmm. everybody comes up with these rules, but I want to know who makes them. And half the time is people not connected to our culture right. that are given the rules. And that's how the culture gets corrupted. And as long as we quiet, we're going to continue to get our neck stepped on. And it's been happening. Look, I know I'm fighting a losing battle, but damn, I got to fight, man. It's, it's, it's sad what, you know, if I was 12 years old growing up with music, I'd be confused. Right. You know? And, and, and I'm not hating, but some of the stuff that I hear now is, is just the substance is so gone. Like, just give me something that, you know, so many records pick me up. Mm-hmm. I mean, I, I remember when the Sounds of Blackness came and Gary Hines, I was at WHUR, mm-hmm. and, and and Jimmy and Terry came to the radio station and I was the first one to play uh, Optimistic mm-hmm. by the Sounds of Blackness. What label that was that was on that, that was on perspective, right? Yeah. Okay. Uh-huh. All right, go ahead. And, and and optimistic when you listen to the words, mm-hmm. you felt optimistic. That's right. <laughs> you know, no matter 
And that's the power of music. And I'll never forget because I played it twice. That was the first. I played the record and I said, and I got in trouble by my program director. Like, why you? I said, man, that's one of the hottest. You know, when you hear a record the Mm -hmm. first time and it touches you, that's the difference. Like, and we had a lot bigger songs back then that were written to, you know, sort of empower you. And I'm not saying radio has to be the teacher, but damn, give me a little balance. Yo, yeah. I love Biggie and I love Shoot 'em Up too. I got a gun safe with 12 guns in it, but I don't have to hear being shot every day to inspire me, you know? And especially if I was 12 years old, I, I used to learn off of my mother's 45s how to talk to women, you know? <laughs> but now if I listen, it'd be the exact, when the floaters came out, Back in the day, there was the song, you know, look it up, float on for the folks that don't know. And there was one of the guys in the floaters, when it, it was a slow grind record, and he says, you know, my name is Paul. And blah, blah, blah. Man, I used to use that line <laughs> at all the parties, my brother. <laughs> you know, because you learn through music, I some know. stuff. I know, I know. Yeah. Well, check it. We're going to get to this list right quick. Okay. Uh, we, we forgot about the list, but this is the song. These are the songs that were out in 1979. Uh, and number one was Anita Ward, Ring My Bell, right? And uh, uh-huh. also some of the other acts that came out that year or had records out on, on the charts. Uh, you had the Spinners, Peaches and Her, Parliament, Michael Jackson, Chic. Uh, Mike had two records out that year that was hits. Uh, Don't Stop Till You Get Enough and also Rock With You. Uh, uh, Cheryl Lynn, Billy Preston, Cool in the Gang. Yeah, got to be real. Big, 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 big record. <laughs> uh, the Isley mm-hmm. Brothers, Sister Sledge, Donna Summers, Earth, Wind, and Fire, McFadden and Whitehead, uh, Prince, People Bryson, GQ, uh, the Jacksons, and the list goes on and on. You even got Peaches and Herb in there, and the Got Band, and um, the OJs, and a whole bunch of stuff. But, uh, yeah, but R&B was alive back then. It yeah. died for, they killed it. Yeah. You know, so many of those artists that Rick were songwriters. And, and, and that's what the digital era did too. Because everybody I used to know in the music business were actual musicians. You know, like the folks that went to Berkeley and, college of music that played instruments and, and once it went digital everybody just started to sample and so melodies and chords sometimes were lost because how to structure a song is really an art you yeah, know it is. so when folks hear bruno mars he, he knows how to write a song by listening to oh look the biggest artist on planet earth today is uh, R&B singer, but he's white, Ed Sheeran. Ed Sheeran made, he made 600 and... My bad, go ahead. 76 million. He made six, 676 million on tour. Mm-hmm. And if you listen to an Ed Sheeran song, it's it's structured like an R&B or Marvin Gaye song or anything else. Mm-hmm. So yeah, we have hits today, but you know, real, real songs last for a long time. 
you know, that, that in terms of don't, what, what we call it in radio, we have three things when we do research, recognition, popularity, and fatigue. Mm-hmm. And a lot of songs like a DJ Khaled album, mm-hmm. that burns quick. You know, they're popular for four or five weeks and they're done. Mm. You know, a couple of years ago when Little little Nas X broke the record for, you know, I think it was 13 weeks at number one or something ridiculous. Mm -hmm. But it just shows you how times have changed. You know, the, the burn on these records is real quick where people get tired, but great songs last forever. That's right. You can say that again. Great songs last forever, people. And, you know, everything he just said right now is just such a chunk of valuable information for you guys out there. But, yeah, great songs do last forever. Um, so and and it's ahead. about catalogs. You know, it was funny. When I was watching uh, last year when Biden won, mm-hmm. Uh, they were doing the presidential whatever concert, and John Legend, he was singing Feels Good that Nina Simone wrote in 1965. Hmm. And everybody's heard Feels Good on commercials, or other people singing it. Those are on commercials and movies, and that's where the publishing dollars are are. People were making a hundred million dollars on catalogs because they're timeless songs, mm-hmm. and, and that's the key, man. Writing a great, a great song that makes you just go, "Wow, I can hear it twenty times in a row." And there's not a lot of songs like that. I hear them once, twice. Oh yeah, that's fire, but it really ain't. And they die down. I mean, yeah. Just the, you know, because I still get service from a lot of record labels. So when I, I get all them emails, man, I'd be like, shit. I mean, I'm not working in a bar right now. I'm not on the radio nowhere right now. But, dude, it's just so much shit out there right now. Uh, yeah, it's oversaturated because oh, everybody can make a decent sounding record mm-hmm. or you can purchase a beat and be on in 24 hours. But, can you keep them? That's the difference. Or do people go pay to see you? And the confusion today is, it, you know, people get confused by TikTok and a visual mm-hmm. that catches on and does millions, but nobody wants to buy the product or see the artist. Right. Uh, and that's where we're, we're at that stage now where the visual's more important than the music. Yeah. Yeah, I, I feel the same way on that one because... You know, I mean, the lawyers have always been involved with the labels and label situations and things like that. But right now, it's it's just like the lawyer is running the ball, period. You know what I mean? Just, yeah, we going to uh-huh. buy everything, sew this motherfucker down, and this is going to be it for the, like, I'm going to give you guys the prime example, Takashi 69. Mm-hmm. Man, there was so much shit attached to that. You know what I mean? It just, that just. It wasn't a normal situation. And then, you know, like, you know, even like with the Macklemore situation, it was just, just lock it down. And I'm not saying anything negative about them projects and what them people are doing, but it's a new way. It's a new system out here. People, I mean, dudes, they didn't really have no airplay. Uh, with Takashi, he didn't have none because, you know, it's a different style of music. But Macklemore, that, 
they just locked it all down with that whole thing. But that's just little example of you how know everything has changed. I, I gotta give, I gotta give Michael more credit because before they hit, mm-hmm. I, uh, there was a record called "White Privilege" that they did. Okay, probably seven, eight years before they hit. Mm-hmm. You know, so at least I. It, it's just funny though when you go pop, you can have one good year and make thirty million dollars on tour. That's right, and never be heard from again. <laughs> you know, so that's the difference. It's like the NBA. You know what I mean? Imagine the cats playing in the seventies and eighties that made a million dollars, and they see a rookie getting signed for a hundred million, and I'm Dr. J, and I never made more than two million dollars. So it, it's like that. You know, where Fetty Wap can make $20 million and then can't get another hit. So he's selling drugs. Right. Yeah, yeah, he got caught up. Yep, and that's where it's at, man. Like, them budgets and all that stuff, man. <laughs> Let me tell you, a lot of people don't know. You see these stars and these celebrities, but a lot of them are riding on a budget. So they're going to look good. They're going to have nice clothes on and be here and there and all that stuff, but... They don't manage that money right. It's a wrap. And the label's going to dump you. Look what happened to Bobby Smurder. Mm, Have you heard about him? What happened? Did L.A. Reid come to rescue him? No. Oh, yeah. You know, and they were making the label plenty of money. Mm -hmm. So, you know, it's a business. Right. And we, we can look at it any way we want, but... I'm lucky enough to be 64 years old and have seen so many come and go. Mm-hmm. And that's like the first two guys I managed when I was in the 90s were Ron Lawrence and Derek Angeletti. Mm-hmm. And, uh, you know, it's funny because D. Dot, you know, he made his mark in hip hop and they did the biggie, hypnotized, blah, blah, blah. Mm-hmm. And a lot of big records, the locks and. But Ron kept going. Ron Lawrence did Luther Vandross, Gloria Estevan, Aretha Franklin. He's on a hundred million records sold. He knows he's never going to have another hit, but his catalog is worth tens of millions of dollars. And it's just funny looking at how, you know, you can land up by not doing the business right are not opening yourself up to other avenues. Like, that's the beauty of this industry. You know, in the 90s, I was I was all caught up in radio and video, and then somebody said, do voiceovers. Mm-hmm. And um, I got lucky. The first spot I hit, my first audition was AT&T. It's all within your reach. I got paid 65 grand in 60 days. It was the television spot there. And that opened up a door that normally my ego, I had turned down voiceovers before because I didn't know the business side of it. Uh And I'm doing voiceovers now, you know, 30 years later, 25 years later, I should say, because that's how business has changed. I'm not going to make any money on the radio. You know, because they, they, they pimped out radio, so the only person that gets paid is somebody in syndication. Or they broke up all the union shops, you know. 1982, I was making 60 grand at KYS as a young, you know, 24-year-old. And that's a DC so, radio station, yeah. 
up there in Washington, yeah, Kiss in D.C. But that's when it was owned by NBC. Now you go to that same station, you know, almost 40 years later, <laughs> you'd be lucky to make 35 grand. Does that make sense? But that's how corporations do you. <laughs> I got this. My favorite saying is, if you're not at the table, you'll be on the menu. And that shit is always, if you're not a decision maker or owning it, they're going to figure a way how to fire you. Mm-hmm. And every, all the great places I work, I've been fired by every one of them. <laughs> yeah. So uh, it took me a while to learn, but that's yeah. how it goes. I think I left one or two jobs, but one or two most jobs. of the time it don't, yeah, it don't <laughs> end up good. Yeah, yeah. Man, oh man, yeah, that's the way it goes, man. It's a real deal out here in the in the music business and in the entertainment world. But uh, we're gonna take you out of here right now. Once again, uh, we thank Paul Porter for being on the show today. Uh, his book is out there right now. It's called Blackout: My Forty Years in the Music Business. It's a paperback book. You can get that. Uh, they got it also on Kindle right here. I'm looking at Amazon.com right now. And I'm finally doing the audio book. That's the funny thing. There you go. Audio book yeah. coming soon. So you know, look out for that. When's that gonna come out? Like in, uh, uh, within a year? How long is that gonna take? I, I, I'm hoping for Christmas. It'll Christmas. be out by Christmas. Matter of fact, I'm recording it now. Right. Yeah, so it'll be out. All right, so in a couple of weeks, be on the lookout for that. Paul Porter, Blackout, My 40 Years in the Music Business by Mr. Paul Porter, the author of the book. All right, y'all, we're going to end the show right here. Uh, let me see what we're going to take you out Yo, with. Greg, one What's thing, up? man. Mm-hmm. Anybody want to reach out and touch? I'm at uh, Music Biz U, Music B-I-Z-U-I-G at Twitter. There you go. Check them out. Uh Say it to him one more time, just in case people missed it. Yo, if you want to reach out and touch, I'm at MusicBizU on IG and Twitter, and the website's MusicBizU.com. And, yo, I like to share. Trust me, some things are about money, but knowledge is the real power in this business. And until you open up your circle, and the more people I talk to, the more people I learn from. And once you stop learning, you stop living. That's right. Mr. Paul Porter, y'all, Scramble Life Podcast, episode number 32 right here. We're going to end it right now with Miss Georgia Ann Modro. Break you down right here on the Scramble Life Podcast, y'all. Peace.
Just for the life. 